The text for the sermon this morning is taken from our reading in the first letter of Peter, chapter 5, and it consists of the verses 5b through 7. Just to read those words once again. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. After the sermon, let us sing together from Psalm 18, the stanzas 8 and 10. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the church is a spiritual family, and as a result, as it is a family, the life of the church family has many similarities to a regular family life, including the challenge on how to live together in harmony. For many in a family will know how this can be a very big challenge. Or it may not always be obvious to others as a family can put on a very good public face. And perhaps we might even recall our initial impression of certain families thinking, and we met them for the first time and had a bit of interaction with them, well, that's a really nice family. Might even have been somewhat envious as we saw how nice and polite their children were to their parents, how they seemed to interact so nicely as siblings. Only perhaps later on, when maybe we got to know the family a bit better and our children began to interact with their children on a regular basis and we became friends, then we kind of started to hear stories back, well, it wasn't always as nice as we thought it was the first time we met them. And moreover, we may have to admit this for our own family too. We can put on a good initial face, but in the long run, many families, all families really have their challenges. And of course, we can also pull this through to our life as church family and how we look at other church families at times. You know how it can go when you go visit on a holiday, another congregation, and then you're very warmly welcomed when you go there. And we think, no, no, there the grass is really green. It's a beautiful life there. And boy, there they have all kind of beautiful roses growing in a beautiful rose garden. And then we might kind of look at that with envy and think, well, that's not how it is back home where I belong. Now, we think even of our own church family, we think actually so often it might even come across as a dysfunctional family. Of course, many a person has realized after moving that that initial impression was exactly that, an initial impression. And when they actually moved there and became members in a particular congregation because they moved there for work or some situations people actually jump ship, they go to a whole different denomination. Well, they discover that under all those beautiful, sweet-smelling roses, there were thorns not that far below the surface. So also that church family might have come across as a dysfunctional church family. 
Now, of course, we could take this reality and kind of brush it all aside. Also, when it comes to our own weaknesses as church family, we could say, well, in the end, what's the big deal? Everybody else is struggling with that problem, so we don't have to feel too bad about it, and maybe we don't have to do too much about it either. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit won't let us take that attitude. For he has seen to it that the life of a church family has been addressed repeatedly in also the various letters of the apostles. Because the reality is that the Spirit takes us the way we are. Christ takes us the way we are. But he does not want us to stay the way we are. And that's also evident in this first letter of Peter. For he has spent a great deal of time in this letter instructing his readers how they should survive, how they should live in the midst of a hostile society. There were many people who were persecuting the Christians, and then Peter was instructing them how to live in such a way that perhaps they might win others for Christ. But at the same time, as this letter was kind of coming to the conclusion, he also kind of wrapped it up by giving instructions, very concrete and succinct instructions on how to live as a family of God. So if one part of the letter was with a view to how others see you, well, now also Peter is writing about how we should live together as a congregation. So it might indeed be a truly spiritual, spiritually functional family. Part of this is captured in our text where Peter speaks about humility and that we might continually grow as a functional family of God. I proclaim to you also this morning, to live as a functional church family, we are to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And we consider three things. First of all, the what of this command. Secondly, the why of this command. And thirdly, the encouragement with this command. So to live as a functional church family, we are to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And now, first of all, the what of this command. As we turn our attention to the what of this command, it is good to highlight that we are dealing indeed with a command, with something that we as believers are called to do and to apply ourselves to. It's good to highlight this because there is always the danger of turning any kind of command that we receive in the Scriptures into something that we should not really worry about too much, because if we are told to do something, then, of course, we're always in danger of undermining God's grace. There's always the danger in the Christian church to become antinomian, to kind of be against the law, any commands, because the moment you say, we must do that, well, what about grace? Isn't it all grace? They have to realize that while salvation is 100% God's grace, an essential part of that message is that God in His grace comes to us and He renews us by His Spirit. And when He is working on us, then He also expects us to get to work with that. The Apostle Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 5 that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Or as we could also read together in the letter of Paul to the Philippians, where he makes it very clear we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in us. For the Holy Spirit sanctifies us by calling us to sanctified living. 
That's a marvelous way that he works. He's the one doing it, but he does it by then also saying to us, get to work. This is how you should do it. Now apply yourself to it. And I'm in you to enable you to do that. Now we notice then that as we begin to work out this particular command that Peter calls his readers to clothe themselves. When we think of other passages in Scripture, we will realize that this calling to sanctified living is often done using clothing language. In the letters of Paul to the Ephesians and Colossians, he expresses it in terms of basically changing your clothes. He talks about taking off the old clothes, putting off the old nature. And the language again there is the idea, take off the old garments, take it off, throw it away, and then put on new outfit, the outfit that has been laid out for us by the Holy Spirit. Well, the way that Peter is talking about here makes us think that we should indeed clothe ourselves, and the term he uses for that is to begin with the undergarments. We could say our underwear, because it is the garment that is worn next to the skin. In other words, this is the first part of our spiritual clothing. We have to put on the proper foundation garment, which is humility. Notice foundation garment for Christian functional family life as a church family is humility. Here we see a sharp contrast between the way of the Spirit and the way of the world. Already in Peter's days, the whole idea of humility that was not seen as a virtue, but a weakness, something you kind of despised in others. A humble person is kind of the outcast and the reject of society, really no different today, because a humble person is a vulnerable person. The humble person, well, he's never going to go get anywhere in life, in the workforce, for example. Can you imagine a very humble person trying to get ahead in business where it is so competitive? You have to be somewhat aggressive to get ahead. Or in politics? In politics, you have to sell yourself and say how great you are, what you're going to do for people. Humility really doesn't work so well over there. Or you think of sports. Can you imagine in the sports world, on a soccer team, for example, that a very humble person says, well, I have the ball, but I'm going to give it to the opposing team. I want to be nice to them. He won't stay on the team very long at all. So in that respect, in the world, humility is not really seen as a virtue. And if anything, people might be considered as too humble. And then they have to go to counseling to have some assertiveness training. Stick up for yourself. Get a bit tougher in life. That humility is over the top, you know. That's no good. But you don't come across courses in the world for humility training. At least, we said not in the world. You do come across it. We notice now in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows you again the way of the church is so different from the world. In the church, we need humility training because the suggestion is that inherently we are all aggressive. We're all going to stick up for ourselves and run over other people. Not so in the church of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Peter says. So critical. Humility training in the church of Jesus Christ. When we come together also on a Sunday, that is a lesson again in humility. And in this respect, we think even of our Savior Himself 
who repeatedly had to call his followers to be humble. That was not a naturally bubbling up virtue, Christian virtue. No, it needed to be worked on. And he himself set the example. You, you can recall that incident that is recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 13, you know, when he was together with his disciples for his last Passover meal. And you have that, that story where they came together. It was the practice that there would be a servant to wash the feet of the guests. Keep in mind, in those days, they kind of lay down on, on kind of a couch. So you want to have clean feet because your feet could be very close to your neighbor. But there was no servant, and none of the apostles were going to do that job and humble himself. No way. But the Lord Jesus Christ did it. He humbled himself. He, he, he came across as a servant. He took out his outer garment, and he went around from disciple to disciple and washed their feet. He made himself do the job of the lowest servant of servants. And after he had washed their feet, he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Example of humility. And this also ties in with the way he told his disciples at another time not to follow the example of the Pharisees and the scribes who always sought the place of honor. He said, the greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You find this in Matthew 23. And then we can also think of that passage we read together in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul wrote about how the Son of God made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He laid aside all that heavenly glory where he sat with his Father in the glory of the heavens, and he took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself, ready to die for the sake of his people. And also we notice how in Philippians 2 it was based on the ex humble example of our Lord Jesus Christ that Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Really, here we have kind of an application of the second great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so, brothers and sisters, do you begin to see what humility is all about? It's being ready to serve one another, to be there for the other. You put the other one first. And you can see that this humility is essential if the church is going to function as a true service center. But a service center in a very unique way. Because normally, when you go to a service center, you think of a place where you go and others will serve you. When you take your car to a service center, you expect a mechanic to serve you by fixing your car. And if you go to a government service center, you expect them to serve you because you need a new health card or you need a new driver's license or some kind of document. Now, in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is different. For indeed, you can expect to be served. For example, when you come together in a worship service on a Sunday, you expect to be served by the minister who brings you the Word of God. 
but there is more to church than that because the church is a community where really all the members are called to serve one another. That's what the Apostle Paul also writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he compares the church to a body. And all the parts in a body, we know that also from our own body, all the parts have a function, some more obvious than other parts, but every part of the body has to function together, to serve together and work as a whole. Now for this to happen, it's important that everyone take this command to heart because Peter did indeed say that all of his readers had to be ready to be humble towards one another. In a congregation, if you have only one member who refuses to be humble, one member, that causes trouble. Can you imagine if half the congregation refuses to be humble or 75% refuses to be humble? You're going to have major dysfunction. If you're going to be functional, well, we need to all be ready in humility to serve one another. Brothers and sisters, we need to take this call to clothe ourselves with humility to heart. For keep in mind how it was explained earlier that humility was portrayed as the undergarment. So in the end, it actually points to our heart, to our disposition. And we know that Peter's words touch a raw nerve, a, a root, you could say, of church family troubles. For we all have it in us to think of ourselves as better than others. And even when we consider ourselves ready to serve others, it is still so easy to become selective. We get our own little group, and oh yes, we're very kind towards them, we'll do a lot for them, but then we look at other groups and say, well, don't like those people too much. The bigger a congregation gets, the bigger a problem you get with that, you get cliques forming. You know, it's natural to have certain more circles of natural friends, but cliques, that's different. Cliques is when you start to look at, at other people and say, I don't have nothing to do with those people, and you act as if they are not really your brothers and sisters. Now, in that respect, we have to really be self-conscious about seeking to be humble and to serve one another. So, in that respect, even if you think of the immediate context of what Peter also was writing about there, but just before he had been speaking about the elders and, and the younger members, the elders who in humility had to be ready really to serve the flock, not lording it. When you're lorded over the flock, that's not humble. Then you want the flock to be there for you. But in humility, you are there for the flock. And also, when you think of the younger members, and this co the contrast is being made there, well, the younger members also have to be ready to accept the leadership. And in humility, say, that's how the Lord is pleased to guide me in my life, by, by the rule of the elders in the church. Because in that respect, if you get elders who are there to boss it over the flock, and if you get people who don't want to listen to the elders, well, then you've got a major problem. You have a dysfunctional family, and that's only one aspect of it. But that's the aspect that kind of comes to mind as we look at the context here. But notice then, if there is not a willingness for all the members to be clothed with humility, you get a dysfunctional family, dysfunctional church family. Works, of course, through also in the family itself, but we're looking at the church family here. But in the end, being dysfunctional is not even the worst of it, and that takes us to our second point, and that is the why of this command. 
But Peter drives home the importance of clothing ourselves with humility by quoting Proverbs 3, verse 34. If you would carefully compare the wording in this passage and the actual wording in the Old Testament passage, you will find slightly different wording. That's because, as happens more often for the New Testament authors, they don't quote from the Hebrew, but they quote from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And often in the translation, they did some modification to make it work in the language. But the meaning in the end remains the same. Now, in that particular passage, the proud stands in contrast to the humble, but there the proud also specifically refers to the wicked, those who mock the Lord. And there is no room for the proud in the family of God, because the proud do not display the image of their Savior, who was known for His humility. Now, it is mentioned repeatedly in the Scriptures that the Lord will punish the proud. It's actually interesting, this warning in the Scriptures against the proud, and then they have in Toronto the pride parades. What a contrast. How does that even fit with the gospel? And some people pretend to be Christians and promote that kind of thing. It doesn't fit together at all. Pride is not proper in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we think now here of the proud, those who mock the Lord, those who mock His church, we read in Psalm 18, verse 27, you save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, praised the Lord as he had been mindful of the humble state of his servant, and that the Lord also brought down rulers from their thrones, but he lifted up the humble. Now, earlier we heard the words of our Lord Jesus, as found in Matthew 23, that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. For pride, the opposite of humility, does not belong in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, the urgency of the command to clothe ourselves with humility stands out all the more when we realize the far-reaching consequences, because it is tied to the day of judgment. And we have a hint of that in verse 6, where it speaks about that the humble may be exalted, lifted up in due time. And we have to read this against the background of chapter 4, verse 7, for example, where Peter was saying that the end is near as well as chapter 4, verse 12 through 19, which elaborates on the coming of the Lord in judgment. Peter even pointed out that judgment actually begins with the family of God. We know he speaks in a similar way in the last chapter of his second letter, urging his readers to live a life of holiness, to flee the way of sin. He says, all the more so since the great day is drawing near. So you see how this talk of opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble is linked to the judgment, not just repercussions in this life, but eternal life, when Christ will lift up into everlasting life those who believe in Him and who followed Him in the same way He walked, in humility, but He will punish the proud and the wicked. And therefore, there is a great urgency in heeding the command to humble ourselves. Now, when we see this, of course, the, the why of this command, we can sense there is an urgency. We can't say, well, maybe I'll address this humility aspect later in life. No, there's urgency. 
But at the same time, while there is this urgency, our text does end on a note of encouragement. That's our third point. For the encouragement is heard in the words, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, or cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. It's an allusion to Psalm 55, verse 22. When we look at that psalm again, you notice there are all kinds of allusions to wicked people who are even described as bloodthirsty and deceitful people who trouble the people of God. Now, we can see the relevance of these words in the context of being humble toward one another, because at first it might seem that, that the disposition of humility isn't doable in this world. The world that functions in a whole different mindset where you need to be aggressive, where you really have the principle of the survival of the fittest. I think that if we follow this approach, if now we want to be like the Lord Jesus, also in this respect, walking in humility, if we want to walk in the way of the redeemed in humility, we might think, well, the world is going to run all over us. We haven't got a chance. They're going to take advantage of us. And even among God's people, there will be those who take advantage of me if I walk in humility because not 100% of the congregation will have that same mindset. It's not going to work. You know, we can be so pragmatic when it comes to the teachings of the gospel. It's not going to work. So we have to kind of modify our behavior to be able to survive in the world. But now to take away our anxiety about obeying this call to be humble, Peter puts it in terms of humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. You see, and that, that brings to mind a whole picture for us of God's power and care, of, for ex especially of the Exodus, because in connection with the Exodus, this kind of expression comes up repeatedly, how the Lord led His people out of Egypt by a powerful and mighty hand. He took them through the wilderness. He made the bread fall from heaven. He would send them the meat falling from the heavens. He brought water from the rock. He led them from slavery. He took them to the land of promise. It's important to keep that in mind, because if we now think, yeah, but if I, if I follow the call here to clothe myself with humility, no, that's not going to work. That's like, like stepping out on a limb on a tree, which is over a big canyon, and I just don't trust how strong that limb is. It's not going to support my weight. That's not going to work. But then we have to keep in mind that this limb we're stepping out on actually is being held up by the mighty hand of God. And so whatever anxieties there might arise in our mind about following the command of Peter, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to basically walk in the pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ, well, that concern now is taken away. At respect also, we think of the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6 when He addressed the anxieties that faced His disciples as they had to go out into the world, and He says, well, in the end, you know, the Lord, the Lord looks after the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. You are His children. All you have to do in the end is simply seek His kingdom and His righteousness. Trust Him. Walk in His ways and your Father will see to, see to it that all your needs are provided for. That's really stepping out on a limb. Do what your Father asks you to do. Follow your Savior. How are we going to do that? Look to the mighty hand of God. He will sustain you. 
Peter also reminds his readers that our Father truly cares for his children. He has our best interests in mind. Did he not even give his own son? Didn't he show that? How much he cares so that our sins might be atoned for, that we might live in fellowship with him? And indeed, brothers and sisters, we are to heed the call to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. In a way, it will seem dangerous because by doing it, we make ourselves vulnerable in the world, but also with respect to one another. People will take advantage of you. But think again of your Savior, who humbled himself and it cost him his life. I realize well that the church is not built on a proud Savior, but a humble Savior. And it was because he humbled himself, as Paul also read in Philippians 2, therefore he was crowned with honor and glory. In the same way, we are crowned with honor and glory when we look to our Savior and we also clothe ourselves with humility. Because remember, God gives his grace to the humble. He cares for his children. That's the wisdom of God over against the wisdom of the world. And we can see then that if we are going to really grow as a functional family of God, we all need to follow the example of Christ and clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And that means we need to be ready to serve one another so that the church will be a true service center where we serve our God and where we serve one another. And do remember that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it will seem a dangerous way to go, for it is not the way that this world works. But we are called to do it under the mighty hand of God. And knowing that, let us cast our anxieties about being clothed with humility on Him, knowing that He cares for us and He will give his grace to the humble. Amen.